Hello everyone and welcome back to Latter-day Takes. I hope you all had a wonderful, nice, long weekend for 4th of July. I know I did. Lots of family were in town and it was great seeing them. Um, I That is actually why I am a day late on this episode because having my Monday taken away from me left Tuesday kind of like, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. Work kind of came back in full force. Had to make sure that was all navigated correctly. But it's all right. I'm back. It's Thursday. Sorry, whatever. But here we are. Um, We should be back on track, normal schedule, next week. Uh, On today's episode, we've got two recurring guests, Chase Bartholomew, Casey Sato, BYU-Utah fans. I obviously am myself a BYU fan. Chase has the most appearances on this podcast by far of anyone. He hasn't been on for a while because I haven't done a whole lot of BYU coverage, but we're talking conference expansion. For obvious reasons, that's the relevant news right now, and I figured it'd be good to get both those guys on, get their perspective, and I'm really, really grateful they came on. We're willing to kind of last minute, giving awesome perspective and just kind of giving, playing the theoreticals. What happens? What's what are we? What are we in store for? What do we want? What are we hearing? Things like that. Um, but before we get to that, I'm going to give a recap of my Fourth of July. Just be a little quick thing. Um, there was uh, not much news I'll be going over, but. Uh, after the conference expansion talk, then I will also give a little brief overview and some thoughts on a Twitter interaction I had with Dr. Julie Hanks. If you aren't familiar with her, she, I don't really know how to explain it besides the fact that she's kind of monetized the gospel. Uh, she has people kind of follow her courses and things like that. And what she does is basically try to make the gospel uh, customizable to individuals. Uh, even if that means telling them to leave the church, I guess. Uh, anyway, so I had a little brief interaction with her on Twitter. That was pretty funny. I'm going to share that, and I'm going to go over a few things in that regard, in that sense, and uh, give you my thoughts. That'll be on the back end, so stay tuned for the episode, and I'll cover that for about 10 to 15 minutes. Anyway, hope you all enjoy the episode. We'll catch you on the other side. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. Of it, most of it. And they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, yes. the Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter day Saints. The Mormons were the right answer. That actually probably is my favorite part of the intro, by the way. The jury, the jury is out. Uh, I love it, especially when the whole crowd, after he says that, is like, oh. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Had to just, I just had to address that. Um, I do like that intro. I hope you all like it, too. It might be time for an update there, a slight update. If you have any suggestions, any little funny clips of people talking about Mormons and pop culture, send them my way, and uh, maybe I'll revise that intro that new bumper but anyway um also that's the national parks playing in the background shout out to brady parks who's been on the podcast before gave me permission to use their songs love it Mm. good times fourth of july okay that just took place i do love this holiday it is up there for my favorite it is not my favorite it's hard for me to it's hard for anything to really unseat christmas i just think christmas is a great time of the season there's just great feelings in the air things like that i don't love the cold but conversely, I don't love how freaking hot it gets during the 4th of July either. So you guess, you know, can't have your cake and eat it too. However, you can have plenty of cake on either holiday, and that's always a win. So 
Fourth of July, lots of family in town for me specifically because we kind of we had like this family reunion going around around right around that time going on, and it was great. It was great seeing a lot of family. Uh, recognition once again that I have not really progressed a whole lot in a familial sense on a personal level since I've seen my whole family last time. And I also made a new rule that in a group setting with my family, they are not allowed to ask me about my dating life. Now, I didn't announce that to everybody, but I could kind of tell like they were getting the picture when my brother asked one time, he's like, oh, how was that date the other day? What was her name? And I'm just like, will you not? And then like all of a sudden people are just like, yeah, what about this? Setups galore, all that stuff. It's just so, it's so exhausting. Anyway, I don't, I don't love that part, but I do love catching up with family. My favorite part of the family reunion was probably lowering the rim. My, uh, my parents knew hoop. They got a pickleball court and it's awesome in their backyard. It's eight and a half feet, which is pretty dang low. But I, what's funny is that I was playing with my two brothers and a bunch of my nephews and we decided to play dunk ball and I'm actually the shortest, no joke, on the court. I'm a solid five ten and a half. I think I'm either the same height as the shortest nephew that was playing at least, or he might even have me by a little bit. But it didn't stop me from dunking all over them all day. Great time. It didn't matter how hot it was. I was just, I was feeling spry and I felt like I still kind of had it. So anyway, that was a fun time. But I just want to ref- take a second and reflect. This country is still absolutely amazing. You know, we have a lot of people that have their gripes on either side of the political aisle. It doesn't really matter. A lot of people have their concerns, their criticisms, things like that. But this is the first uniquely free country to exist. And that set the precedent all around the world. And what I love about that is that that set the scene to create or not create, excuse me, but to restore Christ's true church on the earth. It required that a free country with religious liberty and freedom be established in order for his church to prevail in the last dispensation, just like he needed it to. So I do love how that really coincides well. I mean, we're talking within 50 years of this country, this free country's establishment, the church was restored. It's like God couldn't wait. He's saying, hey, this needs to happen. Let's get this. Let's get the show on the road. And it is a nice time to reflect on all that and the blessings that we have because of our freedom and to acknowledge those that have fought for that freedom and to ask yourself, would I do that? Would I defend freedoms on any level that it takes? I'd like to think the answer is yes, but it's really hard to say for sure when we're not actually asked to do that. But at least we can appreciate it a little bit more. You know, you go to these firework shows, you see these flyovers, and you're just like, this is so beautiful. I love it. This country truly is amazing. It's not flawless, obviously, but she is beautiful, and she has facilitated the greatest things to ever come into this earth. The freedom has provided us the ability to live life without ever having to look over our shoulders. To not have an anxiety-ridden life of what's going to happen. What is my fate? We are in control of our fate. And that's a beautiful and unique idea in human history, which is unfortunate. But anyway, just wanted to share those thoughts really quickly. I hope everybody had a great 4th of July weekend. I hope they were able to go out and celebrate with their loved ones, with their friends, with whomever. And from that, I'm going to go ahead and toss it to me, Casey, and Chase, 
And I hope you all appreciate this episode. Like I said, on the back end, I'll be talking about my interaction with Julie Hanks, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, Casey and Chase did a great job. It was awesome having them on with their opinions. But from there, we'll, uh, we'll see you on the other side. All right, joining me on the podcast today, two recurring guests. That we, haven't, we haven't seen either of them in a while, actually. So happy to have you guys back. We got Casey Sato, our resident U of U fan, and Chase Bartholomew. Yeah, there he is. Chase Bartholomew is back. Uh, I, I would say resident BYU fan, but I am too, so that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Res, how about resident irrational BYU fan? I don't know if I'm really to accept <laughs> that topic, but we'll go with that. No, I'm just kidding. You actually have, uh, I would say... I wouldn't say you're to- necessarily totally irrational. We just kind of all are. But um, I've wanted to bring these guys on. Thanks again for joining. Thanks again for taking the time. Um, because a lot's happened in the last week. Bombshell report about a week ago, almost exactly, that USC and UCLA are going to bounce from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten in 2024. Make sure you get that. Coke Zero ready, locked and loaded. <laughs> um, sorry about the sound, by the way. It's uh, first time I'm trying this remote thing where Chase, is, Chase and I are in studio and Casey's uh, remote, so hopefully it's not too bad. But anyway, USC-UCLA going to the Big Ten in 2024, which has a ripple effect across the country. I mean, we haven't really seen any movement, but the whisperings are just, they're not whisperings. People are yelling now. They're like, what's going to happen? Um, I would say more colleges at this point feel unsafe than safe. That's my opinion. Um, similarly, two years ago, we saw Oklahoma. I think it was two years ago. Was it just last year? One year ago. Just yeah. one year ago. Oklahoma and Texas decide to go to the SEC in 2024, and the Big 12 immediately makes moves and says, we're going to be expanding. We're opening it up. And relatively quickly, they add BYU, UCF, Central Florida, Cincinnati, and Houston. But what's interesting to me is that the Pac-12 hasn't made any like real overtures in response to this. We are hearing a ton of reports about maybe they're being concerned with television deals that are like impending right now or like just kind of over kind of the lurking above all of this. And we keep I don't really want to talk in terms of like what people are saying, because I feel like everybody is saying everything right now. So we're not going to solve anything. I'm more curious to kind of think like in theory, what could this all mean? What would we prefer? How would this maybe play out? And I really want to know first and foremost from our resident U of U fan, Casey Sato, like, what are your thoughts as a U of U fan? I mean, you guys were just finding your pace, it seemed like, in the Pac-12. You win the Rose Bowl, and things seem to be going your way. USC is obviously on the up and up once again, but now what? Everything's in limbo, it seems like. Yeah, I think uh, things are uh, very much up in the air. Uh, I think it sucks. Uh, for, I think it sucks for basically every college football fan outside of the Big Ten and the SEC. Um, and the reason I say that is, at this point, the Pac-12, the Big 12, and the ACC are second fiddles to the Big Ten and the SEC as it relates to uh national relevance as well as financial uh 
financial opportunity for all three conferences versus what the SEC and the Big Ten are getting. So uh, overall, it sucks. Uh, I'm disappointed that USC is leaving. Uh, it was always fun to go up against one of the original blue bloods of college football on an annual basis. And to not have that experience anymore definitely sucks. Hmm. Well, I'm curious what you think. Like, what would what would your thoughts be if BYU was available? I mean, technically everybody's available, but like if they were still an independent. Um. Yeah, I, I think. So I, I think there's there's two ways that you have to look at it. Is number one, is it an interesting outcome in terms of our own fan entertainment. Uh, and for me, BYU joining the Pac-12 would be mega interesting um, because I, I do enjoy the rivalry. Uh, yeah. It was fun to... Uh, would you want BYU in? In the Pac-12? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I would love for one of the outcomes of all this realignment for Utah and BYU to be in the same conference again. Hmm. Um, I, think, I think that would be an incredible outcome. Uh, so purely speaking from a Utah perspective, I think it would be great if Utah and BYU somehow landed up in the same conference. Now, if I put on my PAC 12 hat, uh, BYU is probably the biggest fish out there that they could add in terms of a national relevance that makes geographical sense. Um, and so for that, I think that's a positive but BYU in no way holds the same can't like the same national relevance as USC or UCLA. Yeah, that's uh, and so in terms of like in, ter- yeah. in terms of like a, a financial outcome of the Pac-12 uh, being competitive from a financial point and being able to pay out its institutions, I think BYU adds to it, but it's still not enough juice. They don't carry enough juice that USC and UCLA carry. And so we're still, it's still an arms race competition and you would have to find ways to get, I mean, truthfully, you'd have to find ways to find, you know, get an ACC. In my opinion, you have to find a way to get an ACC merger um, for this to really make sense and be financially competitive between the conferences. Yeah. Um, Now, Chase, I want you to take off your anti-PAC 12 hat for a second which would you prefer if BYU was an independent and it was like Big 12, Pac-12 knocking? Which conference would you prefer to go to? So the way I look at it is which one is going to be more stable moving forward. And it's kind of funny because you look back a year ago when they made the big announcement with Texas and OU, everyone was laughing at the, at the Big 12. They were saying the Big 12 is dead. And then a year later, it's kind of like, oh, how are the turntables because now it's kind of the the shoes on the other foot for the Pac-12. And the thing is, is even if the Pac-12 does make an effort to stay together, everyone in that room knows that Oregon and Washington, they have their eyes on the Big Ten. And at some point, if this continued conference expansion, this super conference crap keeps going on, those are two names that are going to get scooped up. When it's all said and done, when there's the insiders and the outsiders, Oregon and Washington are going to be insiders. So if, if, you're a, if you're a member of the Pac-12 that's not Oregon or Washington, 
you have to know that those two can totally destroy any stability you try to create now at any given moment the same way USC and UCLA just did. So if I'm if I'm BYU and if I don't think that the Big Ten or SEC is ever going to come calling it, our names, which they probably won't, then the Big 12 to me seems like the best bet for a future that's going to be somewhat stable is like the third best conference. So I would probably still go with the Big 12 for that reason. Yeah, I actually think I would agree with that too. Um, because, the, I mean, there aren't really blue bloods in either conference. Oregon's the closest you'll get, honestly, in either conference. Once OU and Texas leave, obviously, and USC and UCLA leave. But um, it does kind of seem like basically what we're saying here is the Big 12 seems slightly more stable at this point. It's, and I know we said we weren't going to say like what's going to happen or talk much about reports, but I am curious if you guys have heard anything about the veracity of Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah all being approached by the Big 12. Is that Does that seem pretty legit at this point? I think it I makes... Think it's logical. Yeah, it, it makes sense because if if you're the Big 12, you know that Oregon and Washington still are going to do everything in their power to get to the Big 10, but if you can destroy the Pac-12 by taking those four teams, that's how you basically force their hand to come join you for as long as it takes for them to get to the Big Ten. So I think it makes sense the Big 12 would make that move first, and then they would hold all the cards so then Oregon and Washington would have no choice but to join. That's only so. if the Big Ten doesn't want them, though. True, but it doesn't. for now it sounds like they don't. And so it Which sounds like... weird yeah. to yeah. me, but it's possible. Um. I, I would the the one thing this is going back to a previous statement, but I think it's important in the context of like the uh, in context of like the four corners uh, schools. What is the four corners? We, I saw that by the way. If the four corners schools, it's it's Colorado, Utah, Arizona, and Arizona State. Like that's how they oh, okay. rather than just listing all four of them, they're just calling the four corner schools. Okay, gotcha. Because I mean, I was thinking that I'm like, well, where does New Mexico fit in all this? I was taking it too literally. <laughs> yeah, they, like, they they don't they don't fit in this. I was like on, on the autism spectrum thinking about this. <laughs> New Mexico, so, well. yeah. <laughs> so I I think it's important in the context of all this, in in terms of uh, realignment and restructuring of conferences. The only thing that matters in all of this is blue bloods right and so at this point i think i can make a pretty strong argument that the pac-12 and the big 12 are actually fourth and fifth in relevance and the acc is way more relevant in all this with clemson florida state and miami like those three carry way more juice than any other schools in the big 12 or pac-12 well i would put oregon on par with like I mean, honestly, kind only of, because like, of Phil, Clemson, Clemson only because of Phil Knight, though. Sure, yeah, yeah, but they're doing it right. I mean, they're using their yeah. money the right way. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so, but it's still okay, three but to fair one. enough. Like they do. A, ACC has more firepower in that sense. I would agree with that. Um, as a Utah fan, though, case, what do you like? What do you prefer right now, moving forward, specifically for Utah? Like, say, for example, the Big Twelve just says, "Hey, join our conference." What do you want? I mean, the if if. If I had it my way, I would prefer us to swallow up BYU and also maybe one other uh, one other Pac-12 school or one other big – maybe Kansas. Let's call it Kansas. I would rather us get Kansas and BYU and 
create a merger, a 12-team merger between the Pac-12 and the ACC and have some type of super conference between the Pacific and Atlantic Coast. Uh, Because at some point, the SEC and the Big Ten are going to try to get to 20 teams. So if you create a co-sanctioned conference uh, of the ACC and the Pac-12, I think you now actually have the financial power that equals the Big Ten and the SEC. Like, it's all about money at this point, and it's about brands. And so, like, I, I know you guys are riding for the Big 12 brand, but, I, I Harper, I think I've told this to you before. I can make a legitimate argument to, to you today that BYU is the most important school in the Big 12, and it's not even close. And so because of that, to me, like I don't think the Big 12, the remaining 11 schools or whatever schools that were added, really carry any significance in the national landscape of this entire conversation. I would argue, though, that you're putting a little bit too much stock in the ACC because all those blue bloods you just listed, those are all the prime targets for SEC expansion when they do expand again. And so I would say of all the conferences left, the ACC is actually the most vulnerable because they're going to get picked from both the Big Ten and the SEC, just geography-wise. They're, they're going to be prime targets. And so I would say the Big 12, although it doesn't have the Blue Bloods, it's almost an advantage because they're the least likely to get picked from. And they're the most likely to have a cohesive group that's currently there that will actually probably stick together. And especially if they add some of these Pac-12 schools, just just based on who who's most vulnerable to the other conferences, I would say the Big 12 actually in a weird way is more stable than the ACC. Sure, but I'm looking at this at a high variance. Like, the, uh, what would I would I prefer stability over the opportunity to be a part of the actual conversation of the big three? Then, in that case, I'm, I'm taking my sides with the ACC over the Big Twelve. Like I, I would I would take that bet of the ACC over the Big Twelve every day of the week. Hmm. Like e- even if there is a risk that Miami, Florida State, and um, Clemson were to bolt to the SEC, uh. I think there's an argument that you could probably sell to those three schools. Hey, if we're able to get you an annual income of 80, $90 million a year through this joint merger and, um, and you have a clear path to a college football playoff, I, I would assume that those ACC schools might buy it, buy into that rather than, go continue to play second fiddle in the SEC. Well, here's an important question I think has to be discussed. So I think all of these projections on this TV money is based on a model that everyone in America who cares about college football now is going to continue to do so. But if you take, Mm -hmm. let's say there's two 20-team conferences or whatever the number is going to be, if you go tell 90 different FBS teams that they don't matter anymore, that they don't even have a Lloyd Christmas chance at competing for a national title, are those fans whose teams no longer matter in anything at all, are they going to keep watching college football? Are they going to watch Ohio State play Alabama every year for the title if their team has been told, you don't matter, we're taking our ball, we're leaving, you guys can go play on the little kids' court because we don't care about you anymore? Those fan, I mean, granted, I get it that the biggest schools and the biggest fan bases will still be included, 
but you're still excluding a massive swath of the country and all these nerds with calculators telling these schools how much money they can make in these big deals. Maybe that works for the first contract, but once the viewership drops, when all these fans get excluded, maybe maybe they have maybe it goes full circle and things split off again, and we go back to what we had before. I mean, that's possible. Sure, that's possible, but it, I, I don't think that the TV executives are modeling that. No, that's the problem. Is they're not, and I think it could backfire. I don't know how big sure. of a problem it, that is, though. If, if I'm being honest, I mean. Uh, they're changing the landscape right now, and I, I mean, we're talking about like a couple conferences to maybe three with about twenty teams each. So if you have, we're probably we're probably in the ballpark of around fifty universities that essentially we're shrinking the FBS from what is it one thirty two or one twenty eight something so around there in that ballpark yeah. down to fifty roughly. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, Chase, that you don't think that could survive, whereas I think why, like, wh- how, why wouldn't it if you're looking at like the NFL? Now, granted, the NFL is a higher competition, and people are fans of the NFL that aren't fans of college football. But in terms of loyalties to a team, I don't think the fan bases that of these big time schools that would be kind of part of the new FBS, so to speak, these 50 programs. I don't think they're all relegated to having had gone to those universities. And that's the only reason why they're like, they have such a strong core. Like I think you have a lot of USC fans that never went to college or certainly didn't go to USC. I mean, BYU has a huge fan base that apply, that all applies to that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the the, tons of people didn't go to BYU, but they're still diehards. Notre Dame, same story. I think, Alabama has probably gotten to that point. Everybody in the state of Alabama loves Alabama, you know, things like that. But so I don't know if that model necessarily doesn't work. It may just kind of streamline well, things and make it so, so that's what we're getting to quicker. So this is this is exactly the reason why I said I would prefer to tie up with the ACC because I want to be tied together to as many blue bloods as I possibly can. And in my opinion, Clemson, Florida State, Miami are blue bloods, and so is uh, Oregon and Washington. And again, I, I'm fine to make the case that I don't think BYU is a blue blood, but I think they're in that second tier. And as many schools as I can absolutely tie into that, uh, I think then Utah has a chance to compete in the ultimate grand scheme of college football. Yeah, and Like to actually win a national championship. And that's and my we, point. And if we do create a model where there's three conferences that get a seat at the table, and if, we, if we're talking about 50 or 60 teams as opposed to – because I've heard proposals of like two 20-team conferences, and you're only talking like 40 teams there. If they can find a way to include you know, basically the vast majority of who is currently designated as P5, then that's a different story, and maybe that model is more sustainable. But sure. if you're going to take 25 P5, conference, or P5 teams and say you're done – that's where I feel as things it's going to fall apart as far as viewership goes. But one thing that's interesting, well, I was can, can, say, I, can I add one thing okay, into that? Go for, it, go for it. Yeah. Uh, so I think we have to remember, and if if anyone follows, like I would encourage everyone if, if you're like really interested in all this in terms of what the Pac-12 is doing, uh, you should follow John Wilner, and I think the other one is uh, Jonathan or John Canzano. Anyways, they're they're both great follows. Uh, on all these things 
we, we have to remember it's ESPN and Fox that are driving all of this, mm-hmm. right? Like they are the ones that are making these decisions. So in, in a 40 or 50 team model, like I don't think it's outside of both Fox and ESPN to approach the Big Ten and the SEC and, and tell those commissioners, yo, Purdue, they got to go. Yeah, I was actually Mar- going to get to Maryland, they got to go. Vanderbilt, they got to go. Like, there's several schools that are in Rutgers. those conferences right now. Yeah, Rutgers, they got to go. And so that does create more space and more opportunity for others uh, to join into those leagues. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to say, too. I was like, what, what, how has that not been more of a thing? We talk about absorption. And I guess what these conferences think is that these schools don't lose them money, which that can't possibly be the case. I'm sure, like, giving Rutgers their whatever cut per year, 20, 30 million per year, whatever it is, there's no way Rutgers is actually earning that through their brand. Well, it's of, supposed to be 100 no. million a year coming up. Yeah, coming up, yeah. right? But aren't we currently kind of in the 20 to 30 range? Uh, I no, think they're, they're, like, they're like 60 to 80 right now. Oh, holy cow. 60 to 80. You're going to tell me that Rutgers <laughs> is pulling no, their weight? Don't. These guys are winning the lottery every year. Yeah, so well, that's why strict. Well, see, that's the thing is that's why Oregon and Washington aren't being invited right now to the Big Ten is because they don't increase the value of their contracts. So those two alone will not create more economic opportunity for the Big Ten. So that's interesting, just in terms of like, why doesn't the Big Twelve make a huge play for Oregon and Washington? Why are they? Why are they sticking with? I mean. Utah makes sense to me. Yeah. Like there's 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 carries the rivalry with BYU. They they have they have the momentum right now, um, and it would be a big get for the Big Twelve. I don't understand the Arizona schools a whole lot though. Over certainly not over Oregon and Washington. I'm sure they're more willing, and so it's easier to talk with them. But is that all it is? Is it just because Arizona and Washington are like we're going to wait till things cool down and then we'll start it's, making decisions? It's about leverage. They they have to gain leverage over Oregon and Washington, and by completely destroying their conference, that's the leverage. Oh, it, yeah. so basically, though, it still comes down to because this is only taking place because Oregon and Washington haven't expressed interest in changing. Yeah, because I think those two would prefer to keep the Pac-12 together and just and just ride it out until they get it until the Big Ten's ready Which, to expand. Why is that? Now, this is where I want to give Casey just the floor to go on a Larry Scott rant because I know sure. he's probably Larry Scott's biggest fan. Um, I, what is with this loyalty? Now, granted, the conference loyalty does make sense. I'm not saying conference loyalty shouldn't exist. I already feel one towards the Big 12. It's there. I get it. But Larry Scott, at the end of the day, has not done anything to help the Pac-12 long-term and even short-term. I think that's up for debate as well. I remember feeling similarly about Craig Thompson in the Mountain West. So oh, yeah. why why is Oregon and Washington being like, hey, we can't just spurn our guy Larry, basically is what they're saying. Now, granted, they're not saying that directly because it's like we have we love the Pac-12, but that's all tied to Larry Scott and what he's done to help them or not help them. So why does that even exist? Well, so you have to remember, Larry Scott is appointed by the presidents of those schools, right? So Larry Scott is uh, was given the opportunity of a 10-year leash for – whoever in the hell knows what reasons why. But but ultimately, I think the presidents of the Pac-12 believe that the Pac-12 had this... 
I mean, you see in all of their marketing and all of their uh, messaging over the past oh, 10 years, campus. it's about it's diversity, it's inclusion, it's oh, elitism, right. it's West Coast, it's we're part of this academic brand, right? Like we are the, uh, the educated of the educated. Um, so it's this elitism that the Pac-12, and originally the Pac-10 had, is, hey, we are the Pac-10 and we are these R1 AAU institutions that are the gold standard of West Coast uh, innovation and West Coast um, elitism, right? That's what it comes down to. And and uh, I love, by the way, that it, you said it, inclusion and elitism unironically right next to each other when, <laughs> when talking about that. I, I mean that that's that's like a lot of their mantra, right? And uh, and it's 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 really funny how this idea that the Pac-12 was going to be on the cutting edge of we're going to have this Pac-12 network and it's all going to be available on streaming and we're going to move towards this idea of like I think the I think Larry Scott's pipe dream was that the Pac-12 network was going to be equivalent to Netflix and it was going to be its own streaming provider and. Or like and everything was going to be something like that. Yeah. And it's like, we're going to have this own network that that's its own entity. And it's going to bring in millions and millions of dollars because we're going to have the viewership. And what he clearly miscalculated is that people on the West coast don't give a damn about sports, <laughs> like mm-hmm. comparatively to the sec. Do you know what I mean? Like all of Alabama cares about the university of Alabama football. All of Los Angeles does not care about USC football. And when it comes down to it, like that's what drives revenue, and that's what it essentially wrecked the Pac-12 is. They they bank everything into this Pac-12 network, and Larry Scott banked everything into the Pac-12 network, and yeah, it failed. And USC and UCLA were like WTF? We're USC, we're UCLA, and Ohio State's banking eighty million dollars a year and potentially a hundred, and we're only banking forty. Like that doesn't make sense. Like we want a piece of that pie and that's why they went. Yeah. So yeah, Larry Scott's to blame for all of this. All right. Exactly. Right. So as we kind of finish up here, I do want to hear, I just, I want to give you guys both the floor for a second, but I do want to go back to you, Casey. What do you personally think like is the most, is the most realistic? Like if someone gun to the head, they're saying what's going to happen to the PAC 12, what do you think is going to happen to the PAC 12 right now? Um, that is a great question. And I think all of this is dependent upon what Phil Knight wants to do. And my guess is that despite the interest of the big 12 and maybe some sustained, like some good stability in the big 12, my bet is, is that Utah, Colorado, Arizona, and Arizona State are going to bank all of their money to Phil Knight. And Phil Knight and the new Pac-12 commissioner, Kalibikov, or whatever his name is, are going to find a way to get into the TV executives' heads and find an outcome for those 10 schools that remain. I don't, I don't know what that is, but I, but I think it's a merger of either the big 12 or the ACC. And, and it's all about what Phil Knight wants. 
That's my you, that, like. If I was a betting man, I, Phil Knight controls all the cards to this. So you think the Pac-12 does remain intact as well as even find some like find some deal in the future where they're gonna survive and be okay. Uh, yeah, through some type of merger with uh, another conference. Oh, okay. So you do think the Pac-12 will expand? Yes. Or merge or yeah. whatever you want to call it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, okay. Like, and maybe that's an ACC Pac-12 merger or an ACC Big 12 merger or Pac-12 and Big 10, Big 12 merger. I think those are the two most likely outcomes. Hmm. But it's a merger of some path. It's not adding Boise. It's not adding Fresno. It's not adding. Yeah. If they, I was State. thinking. Like, they're, they're not doing that. There's if no they were going to add tonight. schools, that's their version of forfeiting. I was actually yeah, thinking, exactly. that. I was like, if they exactly. add Boise State, now this isn't a knock on Boise State. I actually think Boise State would be a great addition to like the Big 12, for example. Um, not in a, as a means of saying like, not necessarily in this context, but like say realignment didn't happen. If the Big 12 said, hey, guess what? We're adding two more teams, Boise State, and then I don't know, maybe Colorado. Say, for example, Colorado's coming back. I'd actually be like, that's that's pretty dope. Boise State is a football branded school at this point. They're great. So but if it's as a response of we just got fleeced and now we're just going to add more teams, that's like literally what the WAC did. That's what the Mountain West did. Like you are relegating yep. yourself to a non-P5 at that point. So I would agree with you there. There's no way they're Th- doing that's, that. That's not happening. It, it's not going happening. to be some type of method to make sure that the six schools, well, I would say even seven schools that remain, uh, the Arizonas, Utah, Colorado, Stanford, Washington and Oregon, those seven schools, uh, I think Phil Knight's going to find a way to make sure that they get paid. Yeah, I mean, I think the only the only issue with that theory is that these the, the schools that know that the Big Ten's probably never going to come call their name, I think they're going to be skittish enough that even if two of those defect from the Pac-12, the whole any, anything that Phil Knight could do to keep the conference together basically gets uh, uh, sweeped away in one in one move like that. And I think all it would take would be getting the Arizona schools to jump ship, and suddenly the Pac-12 as an entity becomes it's it's almost not even viable at that point. I don't know how you could salvage that. Um, and the other problem is the ACC doesn't have a lot of negotiating power right now because they're all locked up in their agreement through like 2034 or something like that. So I think the ACC is extremely limited in their ability to, to navigate any kind of deal like that right now. The timing's just not good for them. But what, what well, I think is rem- remember, hold on, let me just go ahead, remember. Yeah, go ahead. ESPN and Fox control all of this. Yeah. Mm. And so if the ACC and Pac-12 come to the table to ESPN and say – here is what we're going to present. Like contracts can be ripped up. That, that's all I'm saying. Contracts can be ripped up with the right partners. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I think that's, and then one other point I wanted to bring into all of this is I, I found an interesting contingent of BYU fans who are extremely opposed to bringing Utah into the big 12, assuming that, that they want to, and that's going to be the sure. path forward. A lot of BYU fans are like, why would you bring in Utah? Just do the Arizona schools, Washington and Oregon and leave it at that. And it's kind of like this Count of Monte Cristo, like they have to suffer as we suffered. You know, the, a lot of BYU fans feel like the way Utah gloated about the Pac-12 over the last decade and kind of made BYU feel small. They want to get revenge on that. And I, I totally get those BYU fans feeling that way. But when I look at 
the any future that involves BYU and Utah playing together in the same P5 or now I guess P4 conference if that were to go down, I, I think that, you know, because look at the way, I mean, the Holy War, despite always being kind of a small-time rivalry, is still nationally respected. Any Anytime a national pundit talks about rivalries, it's like talked about as like a top five or ten rivalry. Imagine how big that would be if it actually had national implications, if it's a game that was actually meaningful, that's played on rivalry week. I think it would be a blast to see the, the amount of national attention that game could garner, especially if both teams continue to succeed. And it, it could get to a point where it's talked about on the same level as like Ohio State, Michigan, Auburn, Alabama. It would be right there in that conversation of like big-time rivalries. And I, I do think that if you want to be a big-time team, having a big-time, meaningful rivalry attached to your team is, is a huge part of that. And so I think it is in both teams' best interest to be in the same conference, despite the pettiness that sometimes gets in the way and fans wanting to see the other team suffer. I think it's in our interest to stay together if we can. Yep. And, and let me, for the record, I think I said from the very beginning, like, the outcome I hope for is that BYU and Utah are in the same conference. Yeah, you did. You now, did make- with that said, I do not give a damn about Baylor, Texas Tech, sorry, Harper, TCU. <laughs> uh, like, I don't give a damn about those schools. They carry no weight. Uh, and and that's, that's my, my reason of being anti-Big 12 and being more in favor of a, an alliance with the ACC. Hmm. Like, the big, to me, the Big 12 schools that are projected in 2024 whatever that is outside of oklahoma state kansas and byu carry no juice well there you have it so i appreciate y'all taking the time anybody else want to say anything as we final thoughts or anything i think we're kind of rounding it out pretty nicely yeah i'll i'll close it uh i'd like to say screw usc screw ucla screw larry (laughs) scott and screw the entire Big Ten. They're, they ruined all of it. They kind of, dude, I, we were talking about it too. Chase and I were like, I, I mean, it's my, first, my first reaction was, oh, thank goodness, BYU is still going to be in the Big 12. And then I was like, actually, maybe not though. Like, who freaking knows? There's still a year to go. And realignment, I was hoping that we could get BYU in the conference in the Big 12 and LP5, and there wouldn't be realignment talk for a couple of years at least, but... Yeah, I wanted to enjoy that for a second. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Do you know whose fault I, hey, this, I, all is? this, this is? All, this is all Nick Saban's fault. Because pre-Nick Saban, it felt like these dynasties shifted from conference to conference and everyone kind of had their moment in the sun. And Nick Saban created this narrative that there was one conference better than all the conferences. And that created a lot of unrest among the other conferences. And now it's like World War One, where every country is trying to like outdo the other country and, and make all these unnecessary additions and strengthening. And that's really what's causing this super conference crap is Nick Saban. It's all his fault. <laughs> I don't know if I entirely agree with that, but I, I do love the theory. Could be, but I doubt it too. Anyway. <laughs> yep. Well, thanks guys. Appreciate your time. Case. Always a pleasure. Chaser. Great to have you back. Uh, we will uh, see y'all. Uh, I'm sure we'll see y'all again soon. I mean, football season's creeping on us so let's make it a good one huh go utes go kooks always go kooks all right see you case thanks man see ya all right so what happened 
to me and Julie Hanks over Twitter. Well, nothing big. I don't mean to trump it up more than it is. It's really not much, but I do think it's funny, however, so that's why I'm sharing it with all of you. So to set the scene, a week ago about, I was reading in Helaman, near the end of Helaman. And in fact, actually, I was talking with a friend who had kind of helped me uh, see it this way specifically. They were like, yeah, who do you think this is talking about? And I was like, oh, yeah, people like Julie Hanks. So what I did was I'll, I'll share the verse with you and then I'll tell you how I did, how I went about handling this. So in Helaman 13, verse 27, it says, but behold, if a man shall come among you and shall say, do this, and there is no iniquity, do that, and he shall not suffer. Yea, he will say, walk after the pride of your own hearts. Yea, walk after the pride of your eyes, and do whatsoever your heart desireth. And if a man shall come among you and say this, you will receive him and say that he is a prophet. So what I did was I actually took a screenshot, and I cc'd some people on it. And I tagged Dr. Julie Hanks, among a few others. Because we see this a lot. In fact, I actually talked about it back in episode 44. And what I did was I highlighted kind of the three antichrists. And my argument in that episode, and it still is, is that the three antichrists that we see in the Book of Mormon, Sherem, Nehor, and Korahor, were actually all part of the church of that time. They had a vested interest in changing the church. And in fact, there's actual evidence in the Book of Mormon for pretty much all of them, I believe. Like specifically for Sherem, it says he came from among the Nephites. It says that. So that kind of gives you an idea. I think Nehor, similar idea. Korahor, I can't remember exactly what his origin is, so to speak, but I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have wanted to change the church the way he did had he not been a part of it at one point, right? What else would he care? Why else would he care? There's plenty of other things to do. That's generally the case, right? People outside of the church don't really care what the church does. They don't really care how it carries themselves. But people that are in the church that view themselves as progressive or view themselves as former members of the church, those are the ones that are usually trying to change it. Anyway, funny how that works. So... I made comparisons in that episode of like people that that might apply to. Well, I did not call out specifically people like Julie Hanks. With that said, I'm kind of doing that now. The, I would say, the Antichrist that sounds a lot like Julie Hanks is Nehor. Now, Nehor in Alma 1, 4, 37, and 14, 5 had stated that there will be a universal salvation for all mankind. And if you see, Nehor's presence, his ideology, is very much prevailing throughout the Book of Mormon. The Lamanites at one point take it on. Because it's very appealing. It's like, hey, we don't really have to do much. There's going to be salvation for everybody. And he also says there's no need for repentance, Alma 15.15. Now, I'm not saying specifically that Julie Hanks is sitting here going, there's no need for repentance. However, I'm about to play a clip for you that compares a lot of what Julie Hanks says and how it contrasts perfectly in a terrible way for her with what the prophet says, with what other general authorities have said, um, high-ranking members of the church, things like that, right? And I'll even kind of narrate it for you as it's going, and you'll see what I'm talking about here, because Julie Hanks has adopted this ideology of, honestly, just be a church member the way that you see fit. And it's fascinating to me, because it literally has people like this in the Book of Mormon. Nehor literally says those same things, Two members of the church of that time. And it's a prevailing it's a prevailing ideology because it's so appealing. What do you think Satan's telling people? Satan's telling people, hey, you can't really do any wrong. It's all good. You'll be saved at the end of the day. Live it to your style. They shouldn't ask the 
such hard things from you. Anyway, let me play this clip, and this will kind of help set the scene a little bit. Each of us has to face the matter. Either the church is true, or it is a fraud. There is no middle ground. It is the church and kingdom of God, or it is nothing. I'm so excited. I hope you enjoy the courses. Uh, finding the middle ground in the LDS church. The middle ground options will be removed from us as Latter-day Saints. The Obviously middle Elder of the road will be withdrawn. If you want to get in on the next Finding the Middle Ground in the LDS Church Q&A or discussion group, go to my website uh, virtual events page. They will encounter people that pick which commandments they will keep and ignore others that President they choose Nelson. to break. I call this the cafeteria, cafeteria approach to approach obedience. To Picking to and choosing will not work. It will lead to misery. Why don't you want to pick and choose? We all have to pick and choose what is applicable to us and our lives at any given time. You're all cafeteria Mormons. Yeah, she had the end her story. In we are some all cafeteria way, Mormons. And at some time, someone in oh, this church will do or say something that could be considered offensive. You and I cannot control the intentions or the behavior of other people. However, we can choose not to be offended. The phrase, you're choosing to be offended, is for you to apply to you, not for you to say as a weapon to someone else that their feelings are invalid, okay? For indeed, this life this is, is sister Sherry a test. Odu. We know that this life is a life test. Life is a test, and it says in the Instagram story, test. this life is not a test. The great test of this life Packer and the Irene monster. And who would you rather trust? And this is Sister Sherry Odu again. A social media influencer, an expert, <laughs> all of these have a vested interest in winning over followers, customers, and fans. Those who choose pundits over profits make the tragic choice of choosing foolish and blind guides rather than seers whose ordination allows them to see things we don't yet see. Just incredible. Honestly incredible. I'm not... 100% positive that uh, Julie Hanks isn't trolling us somehow or her followers. She, I mean, there were like three or four times where she literally said the exact opposite of what either a prophet or a general authority or a, a sister in the church was saying. It, it's, it's, it's incredible. Like, I, it, it's the blueprint of doing exactly what you shouldn't do. And she's doing it perfectly. And so this brings me to kind of my next point. So that's why I cc'd Julie Hanks in that scripture. I'm basically not necessarily that being particularly why, because this was kind of the point of like, she's an influencer. She cares more about gaining followers, which Sherry Dew said perfectly, by the way, those that are more interested or they're more vested in getting followers, right? And getting money, $55 for her subscription service of all the freaking BS that she's spouting out wherever she can and to whatever, whatever poor sucker will actually pay for that. Like, honestly, it's 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 crazy. But Sherry Dew nails that part of it. So obviously, she's monetized the gospel in a way that is less than stellar. So is Rosemary Card. Like, she has a, a temple dress company. I actually think that's probably the only reason what, that keeps her tethered to the church, if I'm being honest. But anyway, um, so I, I write this, I, I, I post a screenshot of this scripture, right? It's Helaman 13 saying, like, 
telling people to do whatever they want to do, right? Which is literally what Nihor was telling the people. That was the order of Nihor. That was the most prevailing anti-church sentiment in the Book of Mormon. And here we have Dr. Hanks literally saying this to all her followers. So I post that, I tag her in it, and I just say CC, and that's it. Well, she got back to me uh, about a little bit later, like a few days later, and she says, this post is an example of being prideful, (laughs) which is amazing. Like, I, I... I'm not sure where my pride is there, quite frankly. Like, I just said, CC, Julie Hanks, and I put that scripture out there. I don't know where my pride is coming into play. Now, listen, I have my moments of pride. In fact, I'm going to take this moment to kind of lament a very serious situation of pride that I had just last week. So if you all remember, I came out with my abortion pod. I talked about it with a friend. I gave my thoughts before and after on abortion. I have very strong sentiments against abortion, right? Well, I had a close friend... A very close friend, like he's a dear friend of mine, um, challenged what I had said. And he had done it in a personal note. Um, and I took it extremely terribly. And I regret that. And we've since made amends, but I acted viscerally. I, I like unfriended him and stuff. It was like, honestly, it's embarrassing looking back at that. It was just within the last week. Like I, I was just like, hey, get out of my life, which is so ridiculous because I hear I am putting myself out in a public forum and then I just can't. I think there was just a lot going on with just kind of always, always, always hearing the abortion stuff. But if I'm going to put myself in a public sphere, I should understand that anybody can come back at me. They are allowed to do that. Um, And even in a public sphere as well or personally, uh, even though I felt it was a little bit confrontational on his side, I lacked extreme patience. Like, uh, or sorry, I didn't lack extreme patience. I lacked any patience. I didn't have any patience. I was extremely impatient. And I also was very prideful, like the, the, for that to be my response where I was just like, screw this, get out of my life. I mean, it was ridiculous. I, I, I really feel bad about that. I apologize to him. And uh, even the next day, I think, but it was, I just, anyway, like I said, embarrassing. With that said, I have my moments of pride. This, I do not believe is one of them. So what I did was I quote tweeted what she said. This post is an example of being prideful. And I said, LOL says the person who tells her $55 subscribers, and this is a direct quote from her social media as well. My personal authority is that I can pray to whomever I want in my home, which is in direct contrast of the Book of Mormon, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Doctrine of Covenants, and every prophet of God ever. Anyway, that was my little interaction with Julie Hanks. I was going to take this as a moment to be like, there's, like, this is crazy. It's a prevailing sentiment. Once again, we're seeing this, and it's members of the church that are acting in direct contrast with what our prophets, with what our general authorities, with what our leaders are saying. And I'll tell you right now, there are a lot of people I know, specifically women, which isn't necessarily commentary on genders, but just probably just because Julie Hanks is a woman and she probably talks a lot about being a woman in the church. I have a lot of female friends that follow Julie Hanks on social media and it's a little bit scary. I'm not sure what the outcome of that is going to be. If you happen to be one of those and you're listening to this podcast, I would love to know kind of what I don't want to say rationale because I don't want to come across as patronizing but I mean I'm sure she has some good stuff out there I don't really know I would love to hear if you have any feedback in that sense or if you can tell me kind of what the reasoning behind that is because at this point she has said a lot that come in direct contrast with what our prophets are saying so and even in some cases scripture so If you could enlighten me in that regard, I would love it. I would welcome it. 
but that just comes down to if I have any listeners that actually follow her. So with that, I wanted to kind of close it out. Thanks for listening. Always appreciate it. Thanks to Casey and Chase for coming on. Sorry that the sound quality wasn't up to snuff. I think my sound quality in general isn't usually stellar, but it's it's gotten better over time. But uh, yeah, good pod this week. Uh, next week, I'm not totally sure which direction I'm going to go. I've got a few things in the hopper that I can bring out, so we'll see kind of what happens time-wise. And the following week, at, the following week after that, I'll be in Lake Powell. I'm not sure if I'm going to pre-record an episode or not. I haven't decided yet. We'll see how busy I am next week. With that, I'll catch y'all next week. Love y'all. Have a great weekend. It's a short week, so I already I love that it's already basically uh, Thursday, Friday, right? So we're there. I'll catch y'all next week. See you guys. So mad, there must have been magic in the valley and a rhythm in the night. Cause I could almost see it. Did you fade right out of you? If it takes time, I, I, if it takes time, I.